everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Good morning. Welcome. You can feel free to go ahead and have a seat. So glad that you're here with us this morning. Welcome. My name is Emily. I am the Connect Pastor here at the Vineyard. If you are new with us, our lead pastors, Amos and Allison, had a beautiful baby girl. She is about four weeks old now, and they are on some leave, enjoying that time. And it's going great. She's beautiful. I did get to see her. And Isla, the older sister, is doing wonderful as well. So, You are stuck with me today, lucky you. And I'm so excited. We're in a great series right now called Perspectives. Today is the last Sunday of Perspectives. So next week, we will jump into a new series called We Are Vineyard. That is gonna be a series where we talk about some of the distinctives of what make us the vineyard. It is a larger movement. If you are curious about those distinctives, you can do some homework this week. There is a website, the Vineyard USA website, vineyardusa.org, and there is a tab that says distinctives, and you can read through what is it that makes us the vineyard. And next week, I will be jumping in with you on the first of that series. I do want to encourage you next week to please bring your Bibles. And we're going to get back and dig into those, um, those Bibles. So bring them with you next week. So without further ado, we are going to begin our series. We have three speakers this morning. I have the honor to introduce our first speaker. His name is Rusty Miller. Rusty is a dear friend of mine. He is one of these people of great character. That is what I think of when I think of Rusty. I think of great character. He is married to Terry. They have a son, Josh, who is going to be a senior this year. And I am just so excited for what Rusty is going to say this morning. I do want to pray real quick and just welcome the Holy Spirit. uh, And then we will let Rusty share with you today. So if you could just close your eyes, let's invite the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. And we know that you are here with us. But we just pray for a special infilling of your spirit. Pray that you would fill this place with peace. I pray that you would help us as we listen this morning to remember that you do things in unexpected ways. Not everything that you do makes sense, God. And so I pray that you would just pour out trust and faith into our hearts. Lord, I pray right now that you would just soften our hearts. So more of your love, God, and more of your peace. Amen. Rusty. They knew I was going to be sharing today. Thank you, Emily. To embrace means to hold closely in one's arms, especially as a sign of affection. When you hear the word embrace, is there someone or something that comes to mind, maybe a stuffed animal that you've had since you were a child. Maybe it's a person who's special to you and 
them being with you can just help to take away some of the struggles of the day for just a few minutes with their arms around you. An embrace is more than just a hug or just being with someone. There's a sense of wanting to be near, both physically and in a deeper connected kind of a way. There's a leaning into and a sense of familiarity and a belonging. Hold on to that word, embrace. You're going to hear it many times in the next 12 minutes as it's the key to the rest of my talk. Embrace what it means to be an emotional man. I started to hear this phrase a little over 12 years ago, repeatedly and often. I knew it was God giving me an assignment. Embrace, there's that word again, what it means to be an emotional man. I'll give you some quick context on why that challenge was going to be difficult for me. Number one, obviously I'm a man, and most men tend not to be emotional. It's a cultural norm, and it's something probably a number of men in this room would cringe if you heard a similar kind of a challenge yourself. Number two, when I was eight years old, I had a very difficult experience where some people who were close to me were quite angry with each other, and it set off some major disruption in my life. It left me trying to avoid more pain. And the most logical path that I could come up with as a, a little child was to avoid stuff or bury deep all emotions, especially anger. I would stay away from angry people. I would avoid all conflict and debates. In fact, it became easier to just avoid people, or at least not to get too close to anyone. I even coined the phrase, Anger is a useless emotion, and I used it often whenever I could. To this day, I never experience road rage. We've called what I have road grumpiness. <laughs> Can't be angry. To help hold back any hint of anger, I tried to be safe and content and stable. I prioritized intellect and logic and predictability. Once I became a Christian as a teenager, I took to heart and misapplied Paul's words from Philippians 4.1, where he encouraged us to be content whatever the circumstances. Also, since I considered emotional people to be out of control, and since one of the fruits of the spirits is self-control, I assumed that avoiding emotions must be next to godliness, right? Spoiler, no. So that's who I was for most of my adulthood, and I was now being asked to embrace what it means to be an emotional man. Gulp. As terrifying as that felt, and with the uncertainty of what this might mean, one thing was very clear to me. As I said, I knew this was from God. That meant I was ultimately going to do it. You see, one other thing that has been most consistent in my life, besides avoiding emotion and pain, has been this deep, deep yearning to be close to God. Since I was young, I wanted to know Him. I wanted to trust and follow Him. I wanted to be comfortable with Him. I wanted to be embraced by Him. When I started hearing this, my gut says, if I want to be close to God... I have to be obedient to him in this. 
Embracing emotions was going to be important for me to do. Embrace what it means to be an emotional man. My first thought was, okay, I'm supposed to cry around other people. Um, no, thank you. I tried to hold those flood waters back for decades. And why do I say it this way? Because I'm the one who would cry watching Charlotte's Web or All Dogs Go to Heaven. I still do today. I have also felt a lifelong tug toward tenderness, sensitivity, and compassion. In short, I was meant to be emotional, but I always resisted. Embrace what it means to be an emotional man. It took persistence on God's part, but I considered it. I told a few others. My life group was especially helpful in this church. Cheering me on as I fumbled around into uncharted territory. Love you guys. Quick plug, get into one of those groups, seriously. I applied some courage, then I tried it out, and eventually I began consistently being more emotional. At this point, I was intentionally watching sappy movies that I knew would make me cry. Prime the pump. I went through three straight weeks where I literally felt like I was about to cry at any moment and my eyes were constantly watery. I was more willing to share my sincere words of appreciation to others, knowing that it might make me choked up in doing it. One example is my son's nutritionist of all people. When we visited her a few months ago, I was very generous with my tear-filled words of gratitude. In my defense, she is an amazing person. Our family appreciates her very much. I started to think, okay, this isn't too bad. But apparently, crying more wasn't all that God was asking me to do. Guess what I kept hearing? Embrace what it means to be an emotional man. Here's when it started to get real. I had to face some giants. This past fall, I had to confront the first dreaded giant, anger. Remember, this is the one that set me on the path of avoiding emotions in the first place. I began to realize that anger was always there. I just wasn't dealing with it in healthy ways. My only strategy had been to ignore it or stuff it. Now I was being asked to deal with it. This meant speaking out if someone said or did something that hurt or upset me. It meant confronting others. It meant recognizing where anger was already lurking within me. I had to come to terms with more global realities like politics, warfare, and a decreasing effective role that the church is having in our world. These all hit my emotions and some of them made me very angry. I was being asked to embrace that. Shortly after this, I faced my second giant grief. On Thanksgiving Day, my dad suddenly passed away. Because I had already been working on my emotions, and including some very difficult ones, and because I was committed to embracing this process, 
I let grief and sadness and loss run their course. Consequently, the sting of that grief was much more painful because I allowed it to happen, and I think it helped me to grieve well. I made it through, and I didn't stuff it or ignore it. So where does that leave me today? Full disclosure, I'm not perfect. Heavens no. I have taken significant practical steps, but I know there's still much more for me to do. But I can at least say now that it is better for me to be emotional. I'm doing the very thing that I resisted for 40 plus years. A second definition of embrace is to accept or support a belief, a theory, or change willingly and enthusiastically. That's what I'm doing, or at least trying to. I have embraced what it means to be an emotional man. Even with the baby steps that I've taken, I've already seen several benefits. <clears throat> the first goes back to that deep, deep longing that I've always had. As my level of emotions has increased, so has my awareness of God's presence and activity in my life. It's gotten to the point where when I start tearing up, my immediate thought is, okay, God, what are you up to? On the flip side of that is I sense God doing something, my emotions are quick to respond. The two work hand in hand with each other for me. A second benefit is that I find myself being drawn to people. Remember, I avoided people. That's shocking because I've always considered myself an introvert and, as I said, one who avoided. I'm now more curious, especially about people who are different than me. My compassion at times goes haywire, and I'm often overwhelmed when I hear someone's story. I think it's made my prayers more effective. I'm more grateful and bolder and willing to speak knowing that I'll probably say some things that sound corny and sappy and come across awkward, but hopefully taken with sincere heart. In short, I think I can finally love like Jesus. <laughs> one, one relationship in particular that I think has noticeably improved is with my son, it helps that he's a wonderful, mature young man. But I think that as I'm trying to be more fully engaged with his life, our relationship has become much better. Imp involving my emotions has meant, at times, saying firm, corrective words to him, speaking out how proud I am, listening and lingering when he wants to share a struggle, even enjoying a favorite show of his. I'm so excited to see where our relationship will grow and how it will challenge me to grow even more. With my remaining time, I want to talk about the insight I have gained through this process. For starters, and I think this is especially important for men to hear, God has designed us to be fully emotional. To see this most clearly, I'll simply look at the person of David in the Bible who ran the gamut of emotions in many ways, he was what you might call the manly man. He was a warrior king. He killed a giant. But David was also known for his deep emotions. 
He wrote about half of the Psalms, many of which are filled with some of the most raw emotions, overflowing joy and worship, but also deep anguish and despair, being moved to tears sometimes in both cases. Consider just a few words from Psalm 9, verses 1 to 2. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. In contrast, consider some of these phrases from Psalm 88. Verse 1, day and night I cry out to you. Verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief. Verse 15, I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Same guy, fully emotional in both. I would say that his capacity for emotions is what made him most successful and effective as a king. It's what made him able to fill God's purpose in his life completely. How else could we say that it's God's design that we should be fully emotional? As a second point, consider that our greatest commandments as Christians are to love God and to love others as ourselves. That's really what's behind our church's motto, love like Jesus. And to this point, I want to get very serious. I really think it's impossible for us to truly love like Jesus without emotions. We can do loving things. We can be kind. But when I consider how deeply Jesus loved, how high of a bar he set for us, my earlier efforts to love fell woefully short. And I'm going to end with this. Earlier I mentioned things happening in our world that upset me. I'm convinced that the global Christian church will only be effective at bringing change in our communities if its people are willing to transform themselves into who God needs us to be. For me, it started with emotions. It's likely going to be something else as I figure out my emotions a little bit more. For you, it might be finances, maybe being a voice for the powerless, overcoming an addiction, maybe even embracing emotions. It may be something you need to start doing or something you need to stop doing. It's only when we first change that we can help to bring change in our world that so desperately needs what God has shared with us. All he needs from us is a willingness. He takes our most meager offerings from the most insecure and inexperienced of us, and he says, yeah, I can work with that. He's looking for people who will obediently follow him no matter what he asks and who display the kind of love that Jesus displayed and that he eagerly hopes to see in his people. As I'm stepping into his will for me, I can't help but be more desperate to see his kingdom come. Thank you, Rusty. Thank you for sharing. Something I noticed about Rusty as he shared was the depth of relationship that he has with Jesus, this deep friendship that Rusty was able to even notice an invitation from him. And I just feel like there are some of you in this room that are like, I want 
what he has. I want that depth of friendship with Jesus. And so I would love to just pray over you all right now. So if you would just close your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us today with a depth of friendship with you that we have not yet experienced. I pray right now, even now, Jesus, that you would come, that we might even imagine you standing before us and us taking a step toward you. I imagine, Jesus, that your arms are open wide, that you're inviting us into something. Jesus, would you show us what you are inviting us into? And as we each just take one step or two steps or however many steps, as we walk toward you, Jesus, I pray that you would bless the invitation that you give to us. Amen. Our next speaker is a very special girl. She is going to be a senior this year. Her name is Anna. Anna is just, I just love her. I just Love you, Anna. She is one of the sweetest people. One of my favorite memories of her is when they came. Uh, I I was doing the kids ministry, and I really needed help. And Anna was so excited to work with children. It just melted my heart to see someone so happy and excited to work with children. So Anna works with our preschoolers. She's fantastic. She is a camp counselor. She loves theater, music, singing, uh, and I'm so excited for Anna to come. Uh, so Anna, come on up. Hi, everyone. Uh, I will, Sorry, I lost my voice. I'm a camp counselor, and I think running a water slide for a bunch of 30 little kids kind of like does a lot on your voice. So I work at a summer camp with a lot of children, and I'm going to be sort of speaking to the children in the audience. Of course, this can also apply to the adults. Um, so the camp that I work at is called Woodcrest Retreat, and every week we get new kids around seven, six, seven years old to 12 years old. And we go around to different activities, and go around camp, and we are spiritual and biblical mentors to these children. And I love all of these children so much. I keep every single leaf, flower, drawing that they give me. Like these kids make me these bracelets that I wear, and I love them. I love them so much. And one week, there was this little boy. He's about seven years old. His name's Nathan. And he is the cutest little kid ever. He plays so hard whenever we play like soccer and games, he, um, he's so joyful. He would always have me spin him in like the pool when we would go to the pool and he would sing the loudest during worship. I would always dance with him at worship and he was so joyful. But one week after camp, I had a counselor come up to me and say that Nathan said that he felt that he wasn't good enough for God 
and that God didn't love him and that because of the things that he did, he didn't deserve salvation. And this made me so sad because these are seven-year-olds. Like, this is a seven-year-old kid. And you would expect maybe someone to say that when they're older, like an adult, and they had more time to do bad things. But this was a seven-year-old. And I felt so sad for him. I felt so sad that this seven-year-old didn't feel like he deserved salvation and that he felt worthless. And we get a lot of kids at this camp with very complicated backgrounds. But this in particular made me feel really, really sad because a, a seven-year-old shouldn't have to feel that way. And he wasn't my kid at this point in time, so I couldn't look at his like information to see um, what was going on in his life or anything. And I couldn't really go up to him and talk to him for a long amount of time. But at one point in time, we were sitting together on the rocks and he was making this little bracelet for me. And I sat with him on the playground and I read him two verses. One verse was Isaiah 43, one through five. And I will read it. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I trusted their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. And I also gave him this other verse, which is John 6, 35 through 39. It says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, the those the Father given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all that he has given me, but that I should raise them up to the last day. And I just wanted to let him know that he is loved, and although we all fall short of the glory of God, we are all still loved, and we're not worthless, and Jesus will love us no matter what. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. I really feel like we should pray for our kids. And um, when Anna was reading the verse from Isaiah, I just started to tear up. And I really think our kids need to know that they are so worth rescuing, that Jesus would go to the highest mountain, to the depths of the ocean to get them and rescue them. And I would love to pray for our kids right now. So just close your eyes with me. Jesus, we, we pray for our kids, all kids everywhere, God. And I just imagine how you open your arms so wide and you would say to them, I love you so much. You are worth more than gold. 
come to me. So Jesus, we we pray that you would be rescuing the hearts of all of our children. Fill them with purpose. Fill them with love. And as adults, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember how important it is to be telling our kids how much you love them. In your name we pray. Amen. Our next speaker is Jen. Jen is a leader of a life group here. She is in the worship band. Jen also loves kids. She is a wife and a mother of four grown boys. Something I really love about Jen is that she loves people. She's one of those people that you can just go up to and feel loved. So Jen, we welcome you today. Um, Come forward. Check, check. Hello. I have to do one thing. <laughs> All right. Yes, please keep praying for those who don't believe and our children and adults. Man, I was a vehement atheist, believe it or not. My, my entire family pretty much was. And... <laughs> I never thought I'd be standing here um, talking to you about God. I get emotional just thinking about it. (laughs) It's a miracle. And um, yes, pray. My grandmother, I know she prayed for my cousins and my sister and I every day. And man, I'm telling you, (laughs) if you came up to me and talked to me about God or Jesus or church, I would roll my eyes and possibly even sneer and walk away. And here I stand. So there's always hope. Never give up. And please, by all means, be gentle. Just be gentle with the non-believers. And feel free to share my message when it's out on YouTube. For I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, but send it out. Because I feel like, for me, um, it could be inspiring to the non-believer. Because I was such a non-believer. And I'm not anymore. Um, So I grew up in a family um, that was quite dysfunctional. There was a lot of yelling, fighting, um, broken dishes, (laughs) holes in walls, doors. Um, And I don't blame my parents. It was a difficult time. My mom had a really, she was suffering from a disease that nearly killed her twice, and she had to be on prednisone, high doses, for 10 years. So it's really hard to stay sane when you're in that situation. But the one thing we had was music. Ugh. We sang, my mother played piano and still does quite well, and we sang anything and everything. We sang uh, the 20s all the way up to the 80s, and we played instruments, and um, we sang we, everything, the blues, um, show tunes. It was such a gift that my mom gave us to appreciate music. And the first picture I have is of this yellow book we sang from. My mom had piano books everywhere, and this one was our favorite. It doesn't look very exciting because it used to have a really cool paperback cover on it, but it's been destroyed from all the use. 
and it's the Fireside Book of Folk Songs by Simon and Schuster, and it's from 1947 was the first print. And um, we have a great song that we used to sing that I love. Um, it just makes me so happy, this song. So I decided I was going to play it for you. And one of the things that's been a lifelong dream for me is to play piano. My mom and my sister played. My sister had lessons, and I was highly jealous. I never did. I play flute, and I still play it. So I have a music background, and I took piano lessons about 10 years briefly for about a year and got the basics. Um, notes are torture to me. Musical, musical scores are just torture. So I told my piano player, I want to play by ear and chords. And here I am, miraculously playing. So I'll sing this song. And if you know it, this song is um, it's called Every Night When the Sun Goes In. It's an old song from the Southern Appalachian Mountains. In mood and sentiment, it is closely related to the later blues. So I think it's just, and I always, always love the drawings on, on each of the songs. And you'll notice there's some notes written in. <laughs> um, I thought at first that was for me because I hate reading music, but it was actually for my sister's French horn. You have to transpose it up. At any rate, here we go. Every night when the sun goes in, oh, every night, night, that's not right. <laughs> when the sun goes in, oh, every said we weren't believers my family wasn't believing in God my grandmother prayed for us every day and for my cousins and my sister and pretty much we're all there my parents are yeah, getting there 
Um, <laughs> with all that chaos and, and craziness, I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, and I got this image, and I never get images. I'm kind of jealous of people who sit there, I got this image, but I got this image of this gigantic gift-wrapped box. It was huge, and um, it hit me. Um, even though we were a family of non-believers, we had that box from God, and music was inside <laughs> tissue. And every time we played music, that box was open and God was with us. When I look back and all that craziness and yelling and beatings and just craziness, every time we played music, God was with us. We didn't know it, but looking back, I know it. Because during those times, and we played music a lot, thank God, and sang and played instruments, um, there was peace and joy and I, it's just so amazing. So, like I said, it was a lifelong dream for me to play piano. And I've been playing, and one of the things I've been doing, one of my dreams has been to worship from the piano. Um, I play flute, but unless you're Jethro Tall, it's kind of hard to sing and play flute at the same time. <laughs> no. Um, so that's been my dream. And um, I heard that voice in my head say, since I was a kid, you're never going to be able to do it. You don't have the, you can't read music very well. You're just never going to do it. So you know what voice that is. Um, <laughs> and so my, unbeknownst to me, well, I've been playing the upright since I took those lessons. And um, it's kind of hard to do practice for a, a band when you're on an upright because you tend to want to play everything, and that's not what you do in a band setting. So at any rate, I kept playing and I kept praying, and one of the things I prayed for was the ability to play. And I said to God, every time I sat at the piano, I said, God, all I want to do is be able to worship you. I don't care if it's here at home or if it ultimately ends up at church, but that's really what I want to do. And I had a passion. I really wanted to do it. So around Christmas time, at Christmas, my husband bought me this crazy keyboard. And there's a picture of it. It's quite daunting. There are, I counted, 135 knobs on that thing. <laughs> and um, actually, forgive me, my wonderful husband, I was a little angry when he bought it um, because it's expensive. And I had that voice in my head, you're never going to be able to do this. You're not worthy. And I tried to hide from him that I was slightly angry and probably didn't do well. And I actually do remember saying to him, I am not worthy of this. Um, and I ignored it for a while, much to his grin. It sat in our basement for probably almost two months before I ventured down. And it kind of called me, like, in, if you've read Edgar Allan Poe's um, Telltale Heart, it's going, boom, boom, Jenny, come, boom, boom, come. And I'm like, <gasps> and finally I crept down and I started playing it. And thankfully, he programmed it for me. But it's not as scary as it looks, and I'm starting to figure out how to work it. And I started to play, and again, I prayed and played every time I prayed. God, just give me the ability to play this. All I want to do is worship you. And I kept playing. And then Steve, our, uh, he's a worship leader here. He wears the crazy T-shirts. He schedules the worship team. 
And um, by the way, we had taken a hiatus from worship team because of COVID, and my husband has cancer. And I thank you all for praying for him. It's been very helpful and for praying for me especially. And um, we, so we were gone for a while, and it really it hurt me. I, I didn't realize how much it hurt until I came back. I'm so grateful to be back. And so Steve scheduled me. Uh, we had talked about being my playing on keys for a while, and... Um, he scheduled me before I thought I was ready. And sorry, Steve, again, I was kind of angry. And I went on this angry run. I run a lot, and I talk to God a lot. During worship and, and playing and also running, I, I'm sitting there, I can't believe he scheduled me. I'm not ready. I suck, sorry. And I'm not good enough. And I'm like running, and I'm like, I'm going to tell him to take me off. And God goes, no, you're not. I go, what? And I'm running. He goes, no, you're not. You're going to do it. And I'm like, okay. And um, he said, you don't have to play like Rachmaninoff. And honestly, that's never been my goal playing. I, I, like I said, I hate reading music. <laughs> um, and he said, you know the chords. You're going to be able to do this. Just be patient and do it. So I said, okay. And I did it, and it was fabulous. Now, I hit a few sour notes, and it wasn't perfect, but there's grace, right? Um, and then um, that morning, the first morning, again, I got mad. And I'm like, I'm going to tell him to take me off. And God said again, no, you're not. So I was patient, and I kept playing and praying and for the ability. And all of a sudden, it was really, I can't describe it. I just started playing. And one thing we did was I said to my husband, I really like to move the piano up. So we moved it upstairs. And... Um, Notice the cover. <laughs> My husband is so excited for the Eagles. He watches Good Morning Football every morning. And um, we brought it up, and I started playing it every... I mean, I pretty much play every day. And one of the things that I do now is I have a list of people I'm praying for right at my keyboard. I found in the past when I'm trying to remember who I'm praying for, I forget. So I just write it in this book. And I play, I pray. And I also do this um, morning devotional. It's Joyce Meyer, Mayer, and it's like a devotion for every day of the year. It's great. It's short and it's succinct. I, I get lost if it's too long. And I try and read that as soon as I wake up. I'm not perfect. I don't do it every day, but I try. And um, so when I'm worshiping, I play, I pray, kind of reflect and keep playing. And um, it has been very fruitful. And, um, you know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 95, 6 to 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, in reverent praise and prayer. And that I just feel like that is so important for us all to just continue to worship. And dream big. I'm 54 years old, and I started playing piano in my 40s. Who knew? God knew. He had a plan. Um, I didn't know it. And I kept hearing that voice. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be worthy. And that was wrong. I, I think, um, and I, you know, like I said, I just prayed, prayed, prayed that, that um, I could play. And my fingers just started doing things. <laughs> I started hearing parts I never heard before, things that were hard three months ago or 
just a lot easier now. And it's like I look up and I'm just so grateful because this is all I've ever wanted to do. And um, don't listen to those voices. Pray them away. Even what Anna said about that boy at seven. It can happen to any of us at any time. Um, music for me has been God in a box all my life. In high school, I was suicidal and depressed, and I would hole up in my room and play my flute for hours. And looking back, that was God with me. I mean, he kept me going. And um, just open that box. See what God has for you. Revisit something that helps you be close to him and worship um, I, like I said, I never imagined I'd be able to play piano. And um, maybe you're a gardener. Take a list of people you're praying for and go out to the garden and just spend quiet time with God, whatever it is, and, and find new things. Just keep opening that box and find new things. And leave, you know, every Sunday, just please come and leave your burdens at the cross and and get prayer and i have one final surprise <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should have seen me wrapping this thing <laughs> all right on the count of 3 we're going to open this thing up. I have a surprise. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> oh, no. One got away. Okay, maybe I planned that for as long as they let me keep that thing up there when you come in here on Sunday. Just let it remind you to get prayer. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.